I'm all yours, Ali. Thank you very much, Ali. First of all, Max, thank you for taking the time to be with us, uh, Timekeeper, and we really appreciate it. And uh, honestly, it's an honor to me to be with one of my favorite founders of any watch, to be honest with you. I'm saying that while recording, and Ali knows that. Um, Max, we want to start with our region. Uh, we know in the past few years you've been based in one of the towns here, or one of the cities, uh, Dubai, uh, United in UAE. So tell us a bit about that. Tell us like more of a personal thing, more than I want to know what, why Max is, why is he in Dubai? It's, it's a perfectly great question. I can tell you seven years ago, everybody in my industry asked me like, what's going on? What's wrong with you? Why are you going there? Um, so uh, actually it's, it's a very personal reason. And then there were many other reasons which actually added up on it. The first one and the most important is I barely saw my dad when I was growing up. Uh, his way of showing that he loved us was to work like crazy to try and get us a, a house and send me to a private school when he didn't have the means, et cetera, et cetera. And even when he was there, he was not very there. And, uh, and so I had my children very late in life. Uh, I had my first daughter when I was 46, and my second when I was 50. And when my wife was pregnant with our first daughter, I said, we should leave Geneva. And she looked at me and she said, you're married with your company. <laughs> what are you talking about? I said, that's the problem. I know that if I live next to the workshops, I'm never going to see my daughter because I go early in the morning, come back late in the evening, looking at my friggin' phone in the night. Uh, it's, uh, it's who I am. Um, I think that would be the biggest regret in my life if I screw up um, fatherhood. And um, uh, so we said, look, where do we want to go? And I've been going to Dubai for many years, going there on holiday. I, I, the first time I set foot in Dubai was 23 years ago. And, um, and so uh, I'd always enjoyed that, that city, not for the reason most people enjoy it, uh, because I, it's not about the five-star hotels and the shopping malls and the parties. <laughs> it's not at all that. It's just I thought I would, I would go on a holiday and I would just basically hang out, sit at the beach, read a book, enjoy the weather, enjoy good food, enjoy good friends. And I just thought, oh, maybe let's try. So we arrived there with our one-year-old daughter. She had already been born when we finally moved and uh, rented a house, uh, got a cheap Korean car and Ikea furniture and started seeing if it was actually going to work out. Could I actually manage my company from 6,000 kilometers away? And would my wife be happy? As we all know, that is number one. Uh, of any of the decisions. And um, my daughter, of course, a one-year-old would have been not happy anyway. And, um, and uh, we loved it. Mm -hmm. What did we discover? We, um, well, things that I knew, of course. Um, uh, first of all, I wanted my kids to be English speaking. And when you're living in Switzerland, French part of Switzerland, even Geneva, it's incredibly complicated. Uh, it was, it was um, I was very lucky that my mom used to speak English to me when I was growing up. And it's helped me a lot. So I wanted them to be English speaking. Uh, safety, uh, infrastructure. I mean, Emirates, allow, I used to, in those days, travel one week out of two, probably. And going crazy from Geneva, because Geneva is a second 
zone, second tier airport, and wherever you want to go, except maybe for a few Gulf cities and New York, it's always going through Frankfurt, Zurich, Paris, London. And so all of this just made sense. And at the end of the day, it was a quality of life, uh, incredible quality of life compared to Geneva. And um, so that's how I started. I think also... Like what Sorry? Shocked what shocked you the most moving from like a different culture? Did you feel the difference in culture, like coming to the Arab, one of the Arab countries? Uh, what shocked me the most is how friendly everybody is when you arrive there. Anybody trying to uh, settle into Switzerland, more particularly in Geneva, will tell you after 10 years, maybe they found three people who were ready to talk to them. Uh, it's, it, it's, it's, Switzerland is horrible for that. And, um, and so also, of course, Dubai is, is a bit of particular because it's a very much an expat uh, yeah, city. Yeah. So that, that also helps. But more than that, I was very, very lucky that the, the Siddiqui family have been great friends. And they introduced me to a lot of people. Of course, I met also clients, which I never met. And, um, but I, I knew the region very well already. I'd been going over, all over the region for many years. And I know how hospitable people are, how uh, kind, how generous. And, um, and actually, I felt more inadequate because I didn't know how to reciprocate that generosity uh, when I arrived. And, um, and so, yeah, so we started. Uh, seven years, and uh, we have no intention whatsoever of going anywhere. It's interesting because this was way before COVID. So working from home, which was actually the idea, I work from home. So at four o'clock in the afternoon, when my daughters come out of school, I stop working, yes. and, which is actually also a very local thing. Uh, and uh, and so from four to about eight thirty. I um, I don't work. It's family time. And eight thirty, I will often uh, when the girls are in bed. I will, uh, I will start working again. And um, it just, honestly, it's great. You know the other advantage, which I hadn't thought of? I never created as much since I'm in Dubai. Why? Because I only create when I'm alone. Mm -hmm. I, I used to create a lot in airplanes, actually. And, um, and when you're at the workshops and then the atelier and in your desk, between the emails, the meetings, the whatever, all that, I just can't create anything. While in Dubai, working from home, from time to time, every um, probably every week, I would take an hour, sit in the garden if the weather permitted, without this monster, and um, just give myself an hour to think. When was the last time any of you guys gave yourself an hour? An hour is 60 minutes, a really long time, huh? Just to think, without let your mind wander. And I do that probably once a week at least. And it's incredible. Sometimes, especially when I had my, my daughters were young and I was doing the nights, I would fall asleep. <laughs> now I can actually create stuff. Nice, nice, nice. So you said seven years ago in Dubai. So that was around... Nine End years. of 2014. <clears throat> so like, so you established MBNF nine years and then you moved to, to Dubai. So yes. do, you, do you remember like, uh, MBNF is all about Max and his friends. So do you remember the first friends, partners that you have in our region? Who were like well, the first retailers? First friends, yeah. who really, um, of course, I've got many friends in the region, but the first friends who actually helped MBNF create itself mm -hmm. were um, the five retailers who 
originally in September, uh, no, November 2005, were crazy enough to actually not only order the first pieces, but actually pay me one third in advance two years before I delivered. Mm -hmm. So it was the Siddiqui family in Dubai, and it was Khaled Karam in Kuwait. Yes. Uh, and it was interesting because originally Majid Siddiqui said, yeah, ordering the pieces is okay, but paying you, um, and uh, then actually Khaled Karam was the other way around, like paying you with everything we've done with Harry Winston, of course not a problem, but this weird watch is unsellable. Yeah. And both of them came around after a few days and said, okay, okay. I probably was looking like droopy, you know, remember droopy, like, yeah. <laughs> no, <that's... laughs> give me some money. And, and they, they actually, uh, and then there was that's, that's uh, Michael Tay from the Hourglass and John Simonian from West Time and Laurent Picciotto mm. from... Uh, yeah, because if you go back to the early days of like the Le Legacy Machine 1 and such, it's, it's a, maybe now you're wearing a, you're wearing a Legacy Machine, like you're wearing the Perpetual, the so this is more of a watch. But back then, if you go to Khalid, I would, I would totally understand, like it's very square, tourbillon, that is like, I don't know how much it was, 150, 200 Swiss francs. Uh, so yeah, I hope, actually I met Khalid and we did a quick chat about it that I chatted with you also. So uh, one of the things that we want to talk about the beginning of Max, now we are talking to Max in 2021. And to be honest, I'm not saying that in front of you, maybe you're the best independent brand nowadays. And everybody's looking towards MBNF uh, to, 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 uh, to release a new model. There's a lot of people talking about it. So how does that make you feel now, living the moment of being one of the rising stars or the star, actually, of the independence? It's a mix. It's a mix of um, being a bit bewildered. This is actually happening mm -hmm. because there have been such tough years over the years that you sort of get used to having it tough mm -hmm. and that to, to have your dream, which is basically to be completely free creatively and create these incredible kinetic art pieces, you just have to suffer. I mean, that's how I basically my dad brought me up is like, you're going to work your butt off your whole life and maybe if you're lucky, you'll be happy. Uh, and, uh, and so for me, just creating was allowing me to be happy. And, the hardship was part of the deal, which actually made it worthwhile because the harder it is, the prouder you are. Um, so there's a bewilderment that we're here, this gratefulness, of course, that actually this is happening. Uh, and I'm, I'm sorry to say there's a little bit of entitlement. <laughs> At the end of the day, I look back and I said, Look, 19 calibers in 16 years, actually 14 if you the, the years we delivered, every single cent we've made, we've put back into the company to create new calibers. Um, I, there's a part of me who says, oh, finally, finally people are actually realizing that this is happening. And, um, and so um, there's a mix of everything. Uh, but there's one thing which I know as an entrepreneur, we will have other tough years. Mm -hmm. It's not because suddenly, boom, everybody's going crazy. And I mean, we had our first, the very, very best first semester of our history um, now. Uh, and um, we're at a sellout of, I think, 131%, meaning 
we delivered 124 pieces in the first six months. To give you an idea, last year we did 215 for 12 months. Oh, yeah, so yeah. we managed to deliver 124. And the sellout is uh, at the end of June was 164. So already last year, uh, something like 60%, uh, 60 watches disappeared from the our retailers, another 40 this first semester. Everybody's going bananas. Uh, um, nobody's got any more inventory. And um, you're like, well, what are we going to do from now? Because I decided in 2013 That's, that yeah. the company wouldn't grow anymore. Yeah. So I realized that my life is always in seven years. So seven years at Jaeger LeCoultre, seven years at Harry Winston, then two years of gestation at MBNF where I'm in my flat and I'm waiting, working like crazy, but waiting for my first watch to come out. And then 20, 2007 to 2013, we go from zero to 15 million Swiss francs, which was my grail, my goal. Uh, there I was there. And that was 2013 is when my first daughter was born. So that's when I said, Khalas no more growth we're going to be flat and i i kept to that 2013 to 2020 we did 15 to about 17.5 million in 2019 then 2020 because of all the um, issues with all our suppliers we went down to 20 to 15 million again and now we realize that if we don't grow in the next 18 months there isn't a watch anywhere to be seen. That's, that's a good problem, I guess. Yeah, it's a good problem, but it sort of makes that I have to rethink. Um, and not, actually, we're, we're, we're about to change next year. We're about to sign this coming week um, our new premises in, in Geneva because I said we would never be more than 15. And guess what? We're 31. <laughs> and, uh, and so... Um, uh, so we have to absolutely find new premises. I found something which is really cool. I hope it's, it's been two years in the searching. And then I'm about to sign and I'm going, okay, but now if I have to hire another 10 or 15 people, whatever I'm signing for is already too small. Uh, so I, uh, I hate growth. Like growth as a creator, growth is, is, is the enemy. Um, it's, it just complicates your life completely. Um, so, but it's, it's, it's increases your, um, I don't know when I think, I want to talk about your collection and I want to, if we speak about the collection going from the machine one, two and three, and then the ones you do, and then you have the legacy, the, the, the legacy machines. I mean, uh, not the horology machines, but the legacy machine. I think it's brought up a lot of people to appreciate in the NF in general. Not a lot of people would wear the bulldog, not a lot of, a lot of people would, would wear the frog and but they would definitely wear the legacy machine. So uh, I, I, I don't remember when, when did you exactly what year you announced that, but that made a huge uh, new market to you. In the beginning was very specific, very, let's say crazy, crazy timepieces. And the moment you, can we talk about the moment you decided to introduce the legacy machine? Like, why did you decide to go back to circuit? Because I know in the beginning, you, like you were, doing all, sorts, all sorts of things except the circle hands, <laughs> like an analog watch. Yeah, I'd said, I'd said at the beginning of MBNF that I would never do a round watch again. I said a lot of stupid things over my life, and I've <laughs> learned that over years. Just shut up, or at least never say never, because it's pointless. Um, so, no, 
the legacy machine one was not born as a legacy machine. It was never supposed to be what it became. Um, it's actually the 10th anniversary of legacy machine. So it was tw 2011, that's 2021. And um, it started off his life as an HM. And I'd started my, uh, as I said, uh, half jokingly, my balance wheel fetishism, uh, where um, I created HM4 and you could finally see the, the, uh, the balance wheel. And I realized I want to put the balance wheel virtually everywhere because it's the heart and we never see it. So um, I, and let's again, not forget the watchmaking 10 years ago is very different from today. And, uh, and so, uh, and again, I didn't, I came out in 2011, I started the project in 2008. So um, it was supposed to be an HM, which was tubular. I was designing tubes and one of the tube had the balance wheel. One of the tubes had the hours minutes and one of the tube had the power reserve. And whatever I sketched, whatever I designed with Eric Giroud, the, the designer I've done every single MBNF with, um, it just either looked horribly ugly or it was unwearable or it looked like a piece unique that Vianney Halter had done for Goldfile. Everybody's forgotten that, but in 2001, Goldfile, uh, a leather manufacturer, which I think has gone bankrupt since, um, basically uh, ordered, the same year we came out with Opus at Harry Winston, ordered uh, or asked some members of the Watch Academy, the HCI, to do a watch for them. And Vianney did this free tube thing, which of course didn't have the balance wheel, but it, whatever I designed ended up like looking too much like it. So at the end of the six months of sketching and drawing and driving Eric crazy at one meeting, I said, you know what? Let's think differently. Let's just do a tribute. And I sketched exactly what LM1 is today. Without the power reserve, wasn't vertical yet, but with this flying balance wheel, which was the most important, like let's do a flying balance wheel. And the two hours and minutes, it was going to be like two floating pocket watches. And Eric looked at me and he wanted to kill me because he just spent six months doing tubes. And, um, and, uh, and Serge Kriknov, our CTO, who's my partner in the company, um, looked at me and very respectfully, because he always says, like, um, Max, I didn't join MBNF to do a round watch. And, and that was it, was, it was, it was crazy. So then of course, uh, it was finding the engineer. In those days, everything was outsourced. Today, we've got five fully fledged engineers working at the time at, internally. But in those days, I read, so I went to see Jean-François Mojon. I'd never worked with him. I'd heard about him. Um, could we do something? He said, yes. And I said, I would like to have Kari because I knew Kari for many years. I knew that I needed somebody of Kari's essence of knowledge to, to bring the 19th century idea into it. So then we go trooping up to Kari's uh, workshop and uh, we're sitting around the table and Kari is offering us coffee. And I'm like, well, Kari, this is the idea. You've only seen my crazy pieces, uh, but I want to create something which is actually very classic with a twist. And would you like to work with me on it? And he basically uh, went, I'm sorry, but I've got too much work. Oh my gosh. And um, so I took out the drawing. I tell the story, this is a fantastic story. I took out the drawing, which is actually the drawing of LM1. And I said, look, this is the, my idea. Can you at least give me a few pointers? And Curry started looking at it and he took his, uh, his pencil and he started, oh, you could do that and you could do this. And maybe the bridge should be like, and 
the balance wheel, I would probably make it more like this. And he's talking all alone for like five minutes, just sketching stuff. And then suddenly he looks up and we're looking at him around the table. And um, I look at him, I said, Kari, does that mean you're gonna do it? And he cracks up with this enormous smile. And he said, this, this I'm definitely gonna do. <laughs> that's the beginning of an incredible story. LM1, LM2, LM101, Thunderdome. Uh, it's, 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 it's 12 years of friendship of working together. So things happen for a purpose. Every time I've wanted to create a, a project which was really important to me, which didn't happen, there's a reason. Mm -hmm. And whoever is up there uh, has, is an incredible guardian angel for whatever I, I do, because <laughs> one way or the other, he, he, he must be drinking Red Bull all day long and, and, and pushing the iron because he has to take care of me and my stupid ideas. Because <laughs> <laughs> the amount of times that he saved me from doing stupid things and be, allowed me to transform that stupid thing into something great, so, uh, yeah, I'm grateful. No, but uh, also it's a great that we see nowadays, even if you look, you're still focusing on doing the horology machines. Like you're doing the legacy machine and having a huge success with them. But we still saw the Bulldog was, it's a just crazy idea to me. You know, I love the watch actually. Um, but uh, like you spoke about a lot of watchmakers. And if you look at MBNF collection, there's a few things that are missing. And I would love to see Max touch to them. For example, the chronograph complication, uh, the minute repeater. Hmm? Mm -hmm. So, do you, do you think these are things that you're, you're looking into or you're working on? Of course, I am. You can't be a watch lover, and I've been creating watches for 30 years, and not have at some point the idea to do that. But if we do, it has to be special. Mm -hmm. And it's just not like, oh, I put the counter here rather than putting the counter there sort of thing. Uh, mm -hmm. It has to, I mean, when uh, you know the story of Stephen McDonald and the perpetual, he suggested the perpetual. I was like, no way, we're never going to do a perpetual. They don't work. They, they always jam, they always break. And they, they, if they don't break, the customer breaks it himself with his pusher. I just don't want to do that. And he said, yeah, but there's a completely different way of thinking it. And he opened my mind to the fact that I had been dogmatic because I've been educated in watchmaking for 30 years. So contrary to him who learned watchmaking on his own, I followed dogma. And dogma is perpetual should be like this, and chronograph should be like that, and minute repeaters should be like this, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Balance wheels cannot be flying, and you can't create a watch which looks like a dog, clearly, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, that has opened up my eyes that if we do do something, it's going to be something very different. Because if you're going to do the same thing as everybody else, well, there's there are dozens of brands who do it probably better than I would ever do it. That's, that's pointless. And honestly, as a creator, what gets your adrenaline up? What gets your kicks? It's taking risks. It's doing stuff which is different. Marketeers copy everybody else. Creators, definitely, we, we, we feel, I feel, I feel dirty, I feel bad if I have the impression that I've done something which could look like. And so, you know, there's, there's a four to, let's say there's about a four year 
process to go from idea to come out, coming out with a piece um, for any given big caliber. There's been a certain amount of calibers we've scrapped because during the process, another brand came out with something which was a little bit similar. Like, we kill it. We kill it. So we're not going to do it because um, that, that's, I just don't want anybody to start saying, oh, look, it looks a little bit like, uh, and worse than anything, it's me looking at myself in the mirror. Right? Yeah. What have you brought? Yeah. Somebody else did it. It's pointless. So yeah, and horological machines will continue uh, because, I, uh, because I feel I'm virtually the only one left to do something like that. Honestly, in the early 2000s, there were people who were doing some crazy stuff, but they virtually all disappeared. And except if you take our friends from Orvirk, who continue on their incredible line of the, yeah. the satellites and, and, and all that, which, which they invented and they, they're perfecting, who's left? Who dares anymore? Yeah, because it's all back to vintage. Risky. Yeah, it's true. But th that's one of the things, like, you, you, yeah, it's really risky to create something that is really crazy out there. And I, like, I'm speaking from, of, like, from, from myself, so I go to Khaled's Karam place a lot. So his boutique or Rada, I go there a lot. And my office is actually five minutes away from it. Like, seeing the horology, horology which you said, I, I love them, but it's, will I really buy and wear them, like, on a daily basis? It's a bit tough. Uh, and I think that's what made, uh, as I said in the beginning, Legacy Machine brought people to LDNF. And when you appreciate a brand for doing the simple, it's not simple at all, I mean the basic things, and then you really appreciate their craziness. Um, but as, as I see you now wearing the perpetual, go ahead. I agree. Legacy Machine is a decoding machine. Mm -hmm. It's the machine which allows people to understand that MBNF is super high-end artisanal watchmaking. Because before that, they all looked at us as if we were doing toys. You know the, the, the famous toys for boys phrase? You want to transform me, who's a pretty mild-mannered human being, into Godzilla? You tell me that. Oh, it's toys for boys. I will rip your head off. Uh, because it's such an insult. Um, what we do is incredible engineering, incredible watchmaking. But it's true that before Legacy Machine came out, most people didn't get it because they just look at the cool, crazy shapes and like, oh, it's toys. Mm -hmm. And um, well, the other thing which is amazing is that everybody for a very long time thought that legacy machines is what powered up the brand and what made us exist. Up till 2019, horological machines represented 60 to 70% of our revenue. That's, that's and it's only in 2019 that we had a shift because we came out with the Flying T and the Thunderdome mm -hmm. and, uh, and then there was the Evo and all that stuff. But, but now legacy machines are the bigger part, but only since 2019, mm -hmm. in the last 18 to 24 months. And why? Because we all need reassurance. And it's true. You need guts to wear an HM. I mean, good grief. In Kuwait? In Dubai, in Singapore, not that much. In Geneva? Oh my God. Yeah, <laughs> like, like, it's like, it's like, are you in fancy costume? Uh, it's, it's like, it's impossible. So you, you, you need courage. And actually, our MBNF customers were mostly HM customers mm -hmm. because they didn't find anything else looking like this anywhere else. And if you liked an HM, you wanted every single HM. That and um, I know a guy who's so, going through them all. 
backwards. So, they, so, so LMs, yeah. there was initially much, much slower pro progress. Now they've become, they've become, yeah, it's, it's, it's where I've got two legs. But what's going to happen is that HMs are going to become only hyper insane. Now, what I mean is um, a bulldog is, is a tame animal <laughs> compared to what's going to be coming out. Okay. So our HM9 Sapphire, yeah, that sort of stuff. Uh, HM6s, HM4s. Uh, the HM11 will be insane. HM12 will be insane. Um, it'll only be yeah, insane. That also, you mean? It's only going to be absolute insane. It's like the ultimate concept car. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's because I don't want to create HMs which could be considered lukewarm. Okay. Uh, so every time I've come up with HM, it's always been crazy. But now there's already been 10, actually 11 HMs with the HMX. So I don't want to come up with an HM where people go, oh, yeah, but HM4 was crazier and HM6 was crazy. I'm like, you know what? Dude, I'm going to go crazy. Full blast on crazy. Okay, but like, where my, like my next question was actually the opposite of that. You know, like I know you're wearing the the, the perpetual evil a lot. So will we will we see more sportier LM, like 101 on rubber with like water resistance and such? Yeah, it's um, the the Evo was created thanks to Dubai. I know from the interviews, yes. Because when you live in the countries we live in. Basically, uh, when you're lucky that you can jump into the pool or you can jump into the uh, into the sea uh, and it's warm. I had been, I love my perpetual. I got my titanium perpetual. I got number zero, which is very rare that I actually had a number zero made for me uh, with my croco strap. I wore it for two years. And before that, I used to wear the platinum piece. Um, but it just, it doesn't connect with our lifestyles. And so... Um, so I created this so that I could actually not think. Don't have to think. I can jump in the pool with my kids. I can go in the shower. I can go to the gym. I can do whatever I want. Uh, it's, that's it. And I was really, really proud of it. But now I realize that now that I can wear it all the time, it's boring. <laughs> because we're watch lovers. We don't want to have the same watch the whole day. So I created it so that I could wear it the whole day. And now I'm like, this is boring. And, uh, and so, uh, yes, there will be other Evos. Um, for all those who couldn't get the three times 15 perpetuals, start going to your retailers and ask for what's going to come out in October. Um, because uh, the three times 15 are completely gone immediately. So... And there will be, um, but the, the problem is the retailer doesn't know what's going to come out in October. <laughs> They're just asking. And, uh, and so down, I guess. He, he, the retailers will discover during Geneva watch dates. Uh, and then you're going to see, yes, uh, uh, different options. Um, yeah, because it, it's, it's, also, uh, it's also what I want to wear. But um, it's whatever we're going to do, it's going to be difficult to get. I'm sorry, I apologize already to everybody. Whatever we do is going to be hyper difficult to get because we don't want to grow. That's, 
Well, I want to, that's another question I want to jump to when we speak about the MAD1 and you announced a few days ago. But let me, let me keep that on the side. I want to take Mac's opinion on something. Uh, when I meet a lot of watchmakers and owners of like brands, they say there's a curse on us because we can't really wear other people's watches. So if I'm MBNF, if I'm Max, you wouldn't see me around with a drone on my hand. It's in an expo or something, right? Like it's, they always tell me it's a curse. We have to wear our watches. But I want to ask Max, Max sorry, uh, and the dependent, you, you mentioned earlier. What other brands you're seeing them as coming as a rising stars, let's say, in the independent uh, brands? So th there's two parts to your question, even though there was only one question. The first is I buy watches all the time. Okay. That's I, um, my latest acquisition was a 2000 uh, Daniel Roth uh, chronograph with a Zenith uh, El Primero. It's beautiful, yeah. completely underrated, absolutely stunning piece. Yeah. Uh, the month before I got myself this, I'll show you, absolutely super cool uh, JLC, I've never even heard of, I worked seven years at JLC, and I was like, what is this? Uh, let me show you where that is. It's a Memovox snowdrop with an insane case and dial. Uh, where are we? Da, 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 da. There you go. I don't know if you're going to be able to see it. Wow. No, I've never right. seen that. The guy who did the, who drew the, the, the dial must have been on LSD. It's 1972. Um, the, it, the case, which is exactly like an iKipod, mm -hmm. 25 years before iKipod, Mark Newson designed it. Integrated braces, super cool. Um, so um, virtually, I feel like saying every month I'll buy a watch. Okay. It's not going to be a every time a $100,000 watch. Watches don't have to be expensive, and I'm shooting myself in the foot saying this, um, to, to be great. There's incredible pieces. I, um, beginning of the year, I bought a whole collection of vintage Seikos uh, at Bonhams. I was like bidding like crazy. Um, Seiko sports and, and diver watches of the late 60s, super cool, really super cool. Ah, look, something else. Is this cool or what? This is the Zenith, or no? Zenith Time Command uh, piece. It's quartz, but yeah. the, the design is super cool. Um, so I got that one on eBay. And um, then, I mean, honestly, I'll buy easily 10 watches a year and I wear them. Uh, of course, when I'm meeting with clients, I tend not to. And yeah. there is a certain point of where auto destruction is really a bit stupid. Uh, but, um, but no, I love watches. So come back, coming back to your second part of the question. Let's just look at the independent watchmakers who are actual watchmakers. Okay, that's a... I'll put it at that. Um, and watchmakers who have devoted their lives to their company, not because they thought they were going to make money, because there has never been any money in creating a watch brand, um, the only ones who make money are the mega guys, the big guys, <laughs> small guys. I mean, you've probably created 19 calibers in 16 years. Do you think, that, do you know how much that represents? Of it's 50, 60, 70 million Swiss francs just to do that. Uh, so uh, this is not a this is not a business. It's just, why do you think no private equity ever buys a watch brand? They're smarter than us, and uh, and so um, so. 
look at watchmakers who, who create because it's their life. Look at Kari, look at the Grunefels, look at, um, who can I give you? Uh, even in, in a much lower price point, people like Stepan Sarpaneva, who yes, he's worked a lot with Soprod movements, he's created his own movement, but he's got a definite style and he doesn't want to grow. I've been so many times to Helsinki to his workshops. I, I love actually, Stepan. I went to his workshop and I saw your watch that you collaborated with him. And I, yeah, exactly, I, I did two watch. with him. Yeah. Um, so that, 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 those, are, those are guys I, I mean, I, I've got many of their pieces and uh, of course it's uh, that, I was talking of Urwerk, of course, um, I don't know, I mean, look at, look at just people at Recep, I don't have to drag Recep today, I'm like, God, good <laughs> grief, I was having lunch with them last week and he's just going, yeah. I've got 700 watches on order, I'm going to make 50. <laughs> so, so it's um, I'm so happy for them because for all these guys it's been so tough and then finally now there's a sort of recognition mm -hmm. and you know that recognition also comes from the fact that if you take the, the big boys the, uh, the Pateks, the APs, the RMs which are hot as fire um, just put, put all those three brands together that's over 110,000 watches a year. You just take 1%, 1% of those customers starts looking at independence. That's a thousand pieces. That would be that all of us multiply by two or three or four without even realizing it, just because 1% of the people are looking at APs and Pateks and, and Richard Meals who can't get them, to go, you know what? Instead of buying that 5711 at 130000 dollars what could I spend my $130,000 on? And then you're like, whoa, I can get a virtually a perpetual from MBNF. I can get a, a, a Kari this, I can get that, I can get this. Maybe, maybe I'll spend my money there. And I would agree. That's the right <laughs> thing to do. Not because it comes to us, because the value you get is insane for the same amount of money. Sure. I totally agree. And, uh, but again, you mentioned a lot of names and we, I do have this conversation a lot. And honestly, I really love independent watchmaking. That's the reason why we're doing this interview. That's the reason why you visited Sarpineva and Helsinki. And actually I'm wearing a watch that we did with the Holter, if you know him, I don't know if you know this watch or not. He's a, he, he's the first guy to do 3D printed the watches from Holland. Ah. So we did an edition with him. We're trying to do edition to promote and we did like 20 pieces. We sold them out in one day. So I'm, I'm not happy to make the money. We actually priced it below his price range just to, to tell people there are so many brands out there, especially in our region. Uh, a lot of people love the big names. And that's, uh, uh, thank God they're moving. But when you did and what, sorry, when you spoke about these brands, all of them start, let's say, above 30,000 Swiss francs, the majority of them. Uh, but what, when we saw the Mad One, we were like, hey, finally, we can buy and afford an MBNF slash, like something that came out of Mac's brain. So t t tell us, I know you spoke about it, just very briefly, tell us the story behind the Mad One and uh, like how it came to be. Um, look, 
uh, I've always wanted to create a watch which my friends and family could wear. I come from a background with no money and, uh, and my, my old friends, my family, that nobody can spend 150,000 francs on a watch, let alone 50. So there's always been this wanting, and as I said in my video, and most people discovered then, I'd, I'd already created a second brand when I launched MBNF, which I never managed to finance. It was really cool. Uh, but today it's, it's aged too much. People are like, oh, you should do it. You should do it. I've got all these messages like, do, do Green Dog. <laughs> and I'm like, no. It was great 16 years ago, but 16 years later, I look at it, it's, it's, it's not relevant anymore. Um, but no, what was relevant is what became Mad One, um, which was a fully new brand I actually invented in 2014, 2015. And I, I worked on it like crazy on the side of MBNF, and in 2018, end of December 2018, I killed it. And half my team was super disappointed because they'd worked like crazy on it. And the other half of the team was actually super relieved because they had so much on their plate. It's like, oh, that's that, we're not doing that anymore. Okay. And, um, and so I killed it because I realized that I just don't have enough time in life. I don't have enough time for MBNF. I don't have enough time for my family, even though I work from home. You always feel guilty. That's that's if, if you're if you're a human being who's got empathy, who wants to do things right, who doesn't want to miss uh, having being who, who wants to be a good person. And my dad's eulogy when he passed away, I was able to say my dad was a good man. I just hope that. The day I'm away, the person who speaks about me will say, he was a good man. I think I will have achieved something in life. So I realized if I start running after the second brand, I'm just going to shoot myself in the foot. The fun was creating it. Mm -hmm. Producing it and selling it is not fun at all. And, um, and so I just put it back in the, in the drawer. And in March, April, of last year when COVID hit and I thought it was going to be the end of the world and I announced to my team if we're good, lucky we're going to do minus 50% this year and we're going to lose millions which were all the millions I left in the company because I left all the profits of the company in it and I could I could survive losing two three million uh, one year <laughs> not two years and uh, and so uh, I was like guys brace it's going to be horrible and when we realized by June that it was not going to be horrible. Remember, June was the, the collab with our friends from H. Moser, which everybody went crazy. The 60 watches sold out in four days, which had never happened to us. Never. I would like to say that. It never happened before. And, uh, and so I was like, actually, this, this is going to be okay. And if this is going to be okay, why don't we <laughs> resuscitate that idea, but as a thank you mm -hmm. again? You know, too many brands create customer experiences. The only reason they do is to try and sell you something more. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's like, let's be kind to them because they're going to buy another three. So that's like, can you just say thank you with no strings attached, guys? And, and again, treat people the way you want to be treated. We've always done that. Remember HMX in, in 2015, 10th anniversary? And I mean, everything we've done has always been trying... We all just want to say thank you. And um, so I said, okay, let's do this. 
and uh, we we reserved it to the friends, meaning all the people who are in photos on our website, and they definitely cannot own uh, or afford an MBNF. Our team, virtually everybody in our team bought a, a Mad One, which is weird because everybody's wearing the same watch now in the company. <laughs> but uh, uh, it's um, it's like for the first time, nobody in our team has ever been able to afford an MBNF. Now they had a piece. And, uh, and of course, the members of the tribe, because without MBNF, no mad edition. So I, I took that decision. It was a tough decision because everybody had me included, all my friends. I told my friends, ah, oh, we're coming out with something cool. You'll be able to afford it. And finally, there's all over. I wanted, I wanted, I wanted. And then I had to all call them up and said, well, uh, not this year. Yeah. This year is for the friends and the tribe. And um, uh, it was also, honestly, it was, I can't even describe the months of anguish and, and meetings we had of how are we going to do this? Because we were terrified, not by the product. We think that product is extraordinary. But how is it going to impact MBNF? I mean, we want to say thank you. We come up with a watch at 1,900 francs. I mean, clearly, as I said in my video, that does not represent the value or the cost of the watch. But we're, we're creating something. We should wear a brand at 120,000 francs, which is our average retail. Are we shooting ourselves in the foot, or in both feet, or in the head? Um, how are people going to perceive it, etc., uh, etc.? Et so we, we thought of all sorts of things. And, um, and uh, so finally, it came out. We never announced it. It's not on our website. It's never been on our social media. Apart to uh, a month later, when I did a little video like with an iPhone. Hello, guys, this is a story. If you've got five minutes to lose, listen to me. And, um, and um, this whole project took a life of its own, which was not our life. It was interesting because for a whole month, as we never spoke about it, the world spoke about it. And the messages which were going right, left and center were not our messages. Yeah. It was the world which took it. So you had the pros and the cons and the people were really happy and the people were super unhappy and pissed off. And the people are saying, I oh, selling a Miota for 2000 francs. And that's a rip off. I'm like, dude, just the rotor cost 10 times the price of the, of the Miota and the case. You want me to show you the price of the case? Uh, and, but we, we didn't talk, we just showed up. We were just looking at these things happening. Like, <laughs> we, we got the messages too. <laughs> People sending yeah. us, how can we get it? What can we get it? You know, can you speak to Khalid? Like, no. <laughs> it's just not. Yeah. yeah. So now we will do a second series yeah. next year. Uh, it'll be a bit different because we're going to reserve that piece to the tribe and the friends. Mm -hmm. And actually, I, I pledged uh, last week that that particular piece, as it is, if you're somebody who buys an MBNF in two or three years, you will be able to have that piece. Like so we're going to keep them. We're going to basically make more, but keep them for the tribe members. And the, the second version will come out. And no, it's not going to be diluted. It's not going to be watered down. I got people screaming at me on social media, like, yeah, you're going to give us a, a, a watered down version. I said, oh, who said that? I never said that. It's, it's just going to be a little bit different because I want to keep that particular piece for the tribe and the friends. Um, and so, yeah, but 
let, let's be clear. We, um, this year we're gonna craft, I think close to 450 of the original Vs. And that's, we don't have enough for the tribe and, uh, the, and the friends because already 170 MBNF owners registered on the tribe in the last month just to be able to get it. Um, so we didn't expect that. So we're now done. Um, it's the revenue of eight of these. Mm -hmm. So, but the bandwidth it took from our team is humongous. Because as I explained, those Miotas come from Japan and they're modified by our six master watchmakers That's internally. And they are the ones who put on the rotor, they add the, the, the cylinders, they, they, they case it, they test it. Seriously, guys? Do you think we had anything else more interesting to do than that? Uh, yes, and especially this year, but we did it. So we're gonna have to find ways to, to maybe subcontract that part to somebody else in Switzerland, because there's no way I'm continuing that, because there's no way I'm gonna put my team in jeopardy for, for that. It makes no sense whatsoever. But at the same time, we really want to do these pieces because at the end of the day, my friends were supposed to get this watch this year and they're gonna to have to wait for next year. So, um, so yeah. You didn't uh, expect that? You didn't expect the craziness spinning around it? We had no idea how it's going to happen. I mean, I remember that we were wearing the prototypes. Uh, a few of the of us were wearing the prototypes, and uh, and Harris, our, our communication director, was wearing it. Went to, showed it to a few of his friends in Geneva, and everybody told him, 2,000 francs. That's much too expensive." So he came back and he said, "Guys, guys, 2,000 francs is too expensive." And we're like, "Oh my gosh, how are we going to do this?" Um, but of course, you have to understand that the people he was showing it to are people who buy one steel Rolex every 20 years. So for them, like, why would you spend 2,000 francs for that crazy looking watch? Uh, but so we had no idea. Honestly, we had no idea. And um, but as a creator, again, the only thing which makes you happy is to create. And if you want to be proud, you have to take a risk. Because honestly, putting another green dial on an existing watch doesn't make me feel very alive. So, um, so creating a piece like that, I, I am, I was terrified, but I, I am so proud of it. I am. I'm sorry, I shouldn't say that. I'm so freaking proud of of Madwatch. It, it's uh, because because we did it because we did something that nobody had ever done. I mean, Cartier. 40 years ago, Alain Dominique Perrin, the, the, the mastermind behind Cartier, was crazy enough to do Les Musts to the Cartier. When, but Cartier was like, their watches were selling at 5,000 francs and they did a 1,200 franc watch. We're at 120,000 and we do a 1,900 franc watch. And, um, and it's not for the money. It's not for the business. It'll okay. never be for the business. This will always be a side project. This will be something because MBNF is our life. Mm -hmm. And the mad editions will be a cool thing on the side. But wouldn't be uh, like he spoke about the next year. So you're going to do another edition. Do you, do you see it being as a separate company, separate management? 
and just focusing on like different editions, complications, or it's always will be very like one or two releases a year and that's all, whether you can get it or not. Remember I said I should never say never. <laughs> okay, good. Um, the, today, as we speak, it's never going to be a separate company. <laughs> and there's no intention whatsoever of going into volumes. Okay. Um, but that's at least the plan after what we've seen in the last six weeks. Um, I have got so many more ideas on the MAD edition front. Mm -hmm. So there'll be other stuff coming out probably. But as I explained, as a creator, I get my kicks from creating. The producing and sales That's is, is, an, is, I hate that stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, um, so I'm just happy when I create. And uh, I think for the moment, as I said, for the moment, this is not at all in the plan. Well, it, uh, it can be your side project that you can test things with it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah. you know, honestly, creating something, and again, when we will uh, next year come out with the mad one for, it won't be a 1,900 francs, guys. Let's be very clear on that. It won't be 10,000, but it's not going to be 1,900. Mm -hmm. And um, and it, it's, uh, the, the, the challenge is create something cool, which has never been done in that sort of price point is a second, uh, like, like, honestly, I've created 13 clocks in the last six years. Yeah. People don't talk about them anymore. They did when we started. Creating clocks is super cool. Um, yeah. I've created an espresso machine. I've created loudspeakers. They don't exist yet, unfortunately. I've, I've created all sorts of things. I, I keep on creating stuff. Um, that's, that's what I'm interested in. Then, uh, then as long as it comes to life, I'm interested. Mm -hmm. Afterwards, no. I see. Well, I don't want to really take much of your time, but I have one last question. If you you, you said a bit about it, uh, what do we expect from MDN this year? We have two semesters. Let's say two. We have six months to go, maybe less. You said something in October coming. Yeah, um, we had another insane caliber. So we already had LMX. So I mean, we've had a pretty insane beginning of the year. HM9's SV. LMX, the 10th anniversary caliber, which like sold out completely, uh, like days. Um, the the re relaunch of LM101 with the, with the redesigned LM101 in super small quantities with the double Moser hairspring and now for the first time in steel. And now our retail partners are taking, um, are taking uh, reservations for 2023 now, us included. If you come to us, it's uh, I think it's beginning of 2023, um, and then uh, the mad one, and uh, then we just came out with this beautiful malachite uh, flying T. Uh, so at the end of the year, we had an insane other caliber planned, and seeing how it's going, when we just can't keep anything in inventory, and everybody's screaming at us, we're like, it's no point. We pushed that to 2022. But there will still be some surprises, um, and uh, our, our our collaborations. Every year we tend to have a collaboration, so there'll be a collaboration with somebody which is totally unexpected. That's all I can tell you for the moment. I think nobody's going to see that one coming. 
I can be wrong. Maybe people have been thinking about it for years, but I don't think so. <laughs> and uh, and so that will also happen. Uh, so yeah, um, but we just have to we have to concentrate on trying to already deliver what we promised our retail partners till the end of 2021. The mad one threw us uh, threw a wrench into the system because our watchmakers had to take care of it. Yeah. So that's like blocked. Uh, so now we're like, guys, let's concentrate on on just already delivering all the watches which are on order. And then the five years, you think? And uh, I know you don't want to say never. I know you, like you said things in the past, maybe you don't really like say things again. But when we speak about numbers, and you mentioned a lot of numbers, 160 pieces, 250 a year or something, you have orders. Would you, do you think we'll see one day MBNF producing 3,000 or 5,000 watches a year? I mean, expanding the catalog, doing uh, something below the 30,000 Swiss francs, but under the MBNF number and under the MBNF name within like five to 10 years. I can tell you that in our five-year uh, plan, is there's absolutely nothing like that. We will we realize we're going to have to increase a little bit, but uh, definitely not. Um, then the creator in me is capable of doing the stupidest things business-wise. Mm -hmm. And I think that if we did increase and in coming out with a lower-end product, um, I, I, look, honestly, and I'll, I'll, just, I'll, I'll track back. At MBNF, we do not know how to create a 20, 30,000 franc watch with MBNF level. We just don't know how to do it. Um, we've, we've tried, I'd say we've tried, and there is no way we can make the numbers add up in the way we engineer, we manufacture, we hand finish everything we do. And the cases, um, I mean, of course, HM cases is unthinkable, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, so no, I, I think that what I was listening to you was like, well, maybe if the brand is not mine anymore, <laughs> it would be there. <laughs> but but yeah. as long as it's mine, and no, I'm not telling you I'm selling it, but I have no intention of selling it. But um, it's I, I don't think I uh, know that's, that's not it's not, it's not mm. makes no sense. Makes no sense. Well, thank you very much, Max. I really really appreciate it. And as I said in the beginning, being uh, I don't own an MBNF yet. Hopefully, Ali will help me one day when I have the means. And uh, maybe when we will start with the mad, maybe addition later on, Ali, 101. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> but thank you very much. It's, it's an honor to be, it's an honor to have a chat with you and one of the smartest people in the independent. And I do want to really say good things in front on your face because you do that in the Arab region. But thank you very much for your time, Max. Thank you. And uh, I hope it's uh, what I've said is interesting for your uh, readers, not readers, how do you say, spectators. Uh, and, uh, and if, yeah, if you've got any follow-up questions, I'm always yours, no problem. As you notice, I tend to be very uh, candid. It's the only thing I know how to do. Uh, and um, it makes my life much easier. I, um, I always put myself in a position in life where I can say the truth. And it's made my life so much easier. I decided that 30 years ago and uh it's made my life very easy so whenever you're interested happy to catch up again definitely definitely Ho hoping i'm hoping to see you in geneva in the end of august hopefully yeah definitely yeah. definitely then yeah. i can show you a few things definitely well thank you very much uh, thank you ali for arranging this really appreciate what uh, project 
it is doing in our region, honestly, there's a very few parts, like, I mean, uh, retailers here in Kuwait that believe in independence and uh, Project 8 were, were like one of the first. So thank you, Ali, for doing that also. Ali and Ali, 